Hello, and welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast for Edgewood Church in Danville, Illinois. This week at Edgewood. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, I think of the testimony time we had just a few minutes ago, and I uh, start thinking about my week and uh, what was going on in it. And I have to be honest, uh, preparing for today was probably one of the most difficult sermons I've ever prepared in my life. Um, if there's moments where you just get blocked and, and, and you feel like, Lord, what do you want? What am I supposed to be presenting? What am I supposed to be bringing to these people? And sometimes, man, it's like months in advance. You know, you got something scheduled and man, you're ready to go and you've been preparing and you're good and you know, and there's been a couple, you know, I've been, I've been preaching in a lot of different churches recently. And, uh, there is one I was excited about. It was last, uh, a week ago, Wednesday. And I went and I was, I was excited because I knew, I knew like a month before I went there exactly what I w- what the Lord had for these people. And it, it, it was great. And I've known about me being here for a while. And I've been asking the Lord, what am I supposed to bring? And nothing. Have you ever gone to God and knocked and knocked and knocked and knocked and knocked? And it's been like nothing. You don't hear what you are expecting to hear. You, you, you are hoping that he's hearing you and you just keep on coming, you keep on coming and you just don't hear anything. Uh, if you're with me, I've, I've been there and I was there. And as I was preparing for this morning, it was, it was hard. It was, it was one of those hard things. There just wasn't anything that just came and said, God, God, Andrew, this is what you're supposed to bring. And so I just started reading. My regular uh, Bible reading, I started reading through, I'm in the Gospels right now. So we're going to be in the Gospels, so you can kind of narrow that down to four books. And the Lord started putting some truths together, and, um, and I was like, really, God, this is not a message. This isn't a message. This isn't, this isn't uh, you know, we went to, we went to, pulpit speech class, and we learned how to put together a message, Lord. This is not a message. This is like leftovers. You know, you go into the refrigerator, and you open up, and you got like a little piece over here and a little piece over here, and you're like, oh yeah, I'm going to have uh, boiled eggs and spaghetti today. You know? And if you've ever enjoyed the pleasures of, you know, egg salad and spaghetti, that's just something right there, isn't it? You know, just mix that up, and you have a meal. And I thought to myself, Lord... I don't, I don't understand how this goes together. And then he had me listen to a message during this week. And it clicked. And it was like, oh. And it really, I, don't, I can't say that this message is for you. This is kind of a message for me. But you are getting, you're getting the leftovers of it. So if you would with, with me, would you turn to Luke chapter 10? Luke chapter 10 in your Bibles. Have you ever been going or preparing for a trip to go somewhere? 
And you have an expectation of what it's going to be like when you get there. You have a hope that this is what we will do. This is what it's going to be like. This is what the living conditions are going to be like. It's going to be great. And then you go. And it's either way better or way, we'll just say not better than what you were expecting. And how that affects the enjoyment of the time that you have while you're there. I think about this, and uh, I'm going to borrow a term from a book by Paul Tripp, in terms of our discipleship. And so the, the, the title of the message this morning is Discipleship. What did you expect? What did you expect? You know, Paul Tripp's book about what did you expect is about how faulty expectations of what marriage is going to be like or what it should be like hinder your relationship with your spouse. And I would posit from what we're about to look at that faulty expectations about what discipleship is and what it looks like, feels like, tastes like, hinders your ability to be effective as a disciple of Jesus Christ. If we look at Luke chapter 10, I'm going to read here for a few verses, so just follow along with me as we go. After these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place whither he himself would come. Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. And I, I want to say here, this is the destination for us as disciples. This is the place that we're supposed to be. We're in the harvest, right? And as we think of harvest, if you've ever seen a farmer, I, I look at the harvest and I think, oh yes, you have this wonderful image in your mind of the combine going through the field and huge bushelfuls of you know, grain being dumped in and it's just bountiful. It's the harvest and we all love the harvest. And what you don't see is fields where the combine goes through and nothing ends up in the bin. A few years ago, one of my friends, uh, Mr. Buck, he's a farmer out in Indiana. It was about five years ago. And he had full cornfields filled with, with beautiful looking plants from the casual observer's eye. But as he was going through the field and combining them, nothing. Zeros. You know, they, they, measure, they measure the quality of a field by how many bushels you get per acre. And he was getting zero bushels of corn per acre. And I said, how does that even happen? And he said it was too dry for it to tassel. And it never pollinated and germinated and it never made an ear. You had these beautiful long, you know, stalks of corn with no ears on them. And I think of this passage and I look at this and I say, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. And we have this Im imagination of this beautiful, wonderful, bountiful harvest. And we don't see that in this harvest, as we as disciples are going out, there are going to be moments in your life where you run up against a stalk of corn with no ears on it. And this is a great harvest. There is plenty of bushels to be picked. 
There is many souls to be reached, but our expectations as disciplers get us, well, off the combine. And we lose the opportunity to be what we're supposed to be. Let's continue reading here. Verse 3 says, Go your ways, behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. Carry neither purse, <clears throat> nor scrip, nor shoes, and salute no man, by the way. And into whatsoever house ye enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if the Son of Peace be there, your peace shall rest upon it. If not, it shall turn to you again. And in the same house remain eating and drinking such thing as they give, for the laborer is worthy of his hire. Go not from house to house, and into whatsoever city ye enter, and there he receive you, eat such things as are set before you. He spends a lot of time talking about food, which tells you how important it really is. Anyway. And heal the sick that are therein, and say unto them, The kingdom of God is come nigh unto you, but into whatsoever city ye enter, and they receive you not, go your ways out into the streets of the same, and say, Even the very dust of your city, which cleaveth on us, we do wipe off against you. Notwithstanding, be ye sure of this, that the kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. I want us to look at this passage and understand there's a couple of things that he is doing here. This is, this is a calling. He calls these disciples, these 70, and he sends them out two by two to go and to do active ministry work and discipleship work in the world. And what does he call them to? What does the, the calling look like? You know, as I imagine the calling of God on somebody's life, you know, a, a lot of times you think of things in such beautiful, beautiful ways. Uh, I, I thought of the calling of God on my life and I thought, okay, I'm going to be a, a pastor or a youth pastor in a church and these people are going to love me. Because I am a kind of guy that people love. And they're going to take care of me and my family. And I'm going to live in a nice big house that I won't have to maintain because the church is going to do that for me. They're going to maintain the house for me because that's, you know, that's just what ought to be done. Because a, a laborer is worthy of his hire. And, and I'm going to be in this ministry and it's going to be great and my family is going to be treated well and nicely and we're going to win everybody in the whole city to the Lord. It's going to be amazing. Now, obviously, you look at me, you're naive. And yes, I was absolutely naive. And I went into the ministry thinking that this calling was going to be just the easiest thing, the best, the best life that anybody could live would be, you know, the ministry. And as I got into it, it wasn't quite the way I had imagined it. And it's much more realistically like what we see here. Look what he says. Look, look what the living conditions are of the disciples. What are the living conditions? Verse 5. Into whatsoever house ye enter, whatever house you get given, that's your house. That's exactly like living in a parsonage. I don't know if anybody of you ever lived in a parsonage before. You get called to a church and you get sent to a church and you're like, here's your house. And you're like, no, that can't be it. It is. That's where you get to live. And I started thinking about that. 
We have, in the modern culture of America, such a picky way of looking at every part of our lives. <clears throat> You've ever watched HGTV? Uh, I saw a meme. Uh, it's, a, it's shameful that we get a lot of our information about me from memes anymore, but I saw a meme. I thought it was hilarious. Um, you know, the caption was, you know, HGTV, and it has, she is a part-time yoga instructor, and, and he, you know, owns his own dog park or something like that, and their budget is half a million dollars. And I thought to myself, that's just not reality, you know. Uh, she works full time and has seven jobs, and he has, and they have a budget of sixty-three thousand dollars and two cents. You know, it's that two cents that breaks the budget at the end. And as I look at this, and I thought, you know what? We have we're so picky. We get into it, and what God provides, and we're like, oh, no, God, that can't be that can't be the living conditions that you want me to live in as a disciple for you. And so we end up being frustrated and constantly. Uh, having our focus and our eyes on our surroundings because they don't match what our expectations are. What about our expectations of our diet? It's interesting. He does. He spends a lot of time talking about that. I am a food snob. Self-admitted, I, I am a food snob. Uh, I will eat the macaroni and cheese. I will not turn my nose up to it. But I will eat the macaroni and cheese and be, and think, be thinking, I could make this better. Uh, here, it's interesting as they, they go through the passage here, he says, you go and you eat what's given to you. And don't plan to do anything else but that. Don't take your own provisions. Don't, don't do it in your own strength. This is all about you accepting what I give you through the graciousness of other people. That, I'll be honest, that tweaked me a little bit. That was a little of a problem for me. Next one, your workload. What is your expectations of a workload? Well... I expect 40-hour work weeks, 9 to 5. Uh, I should be able to have my weekends completely free. Um, I, I, after hours phone calls are just not acceptable. Uh, if you do need me for something extra, I get to say no, and then it's time and a half, obviously. Three to four weeks vacation would be expected and just as natural because everybody needs that. And, uh, you know... Anybody ever, you know, I'm, this is not a job interview, by the way. You know, we feel like we get to demand what our, and what does it say? Look what he says in verse 9. While you're here, living where I tell you to live and eating what I tell you to, to eat, you have a job to do. Heal the sick that are therein and say to them, the kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. Give the gospel, serve those who are needy. You know what? Those are pretty uncomfortable things to do. I don't think that that is, you know, it's just not, it's just not my bag of tricks this week. I, I just, I'm, I'm a little bit 
anti-service of people. And there's some people, Lord, you know, there's some people that I just don't want to, I, I just don't think that you've called me to deal with that person because they're disagreeable. They have, they have an attitude, Lord. I just don't think that you want me to give them the gospel. They said unkind things to me. They, they actually called me a name. Look, look what the expectations are for our social. Our social. Whatsoever city enter and they receive you not, go your way. Look what he says in verse 9. You're healing the sick that are therein. The kingdom of God is nigh unto you. You're giving the gospel. What is your social output? It is part and parcel with your service. He goes on and then as we look at all of this, he is getting us to understand one major principle. That as we focus as disciples, we cannot be outward focused. Notice all of these things. The living conditions, the diet, your workload, your social activity. All of these things. He's telling, he's removing their power from being outward focused. Because what would we do? How would we handle this? How would I handle it? I'd choose the best house. And I'd want the best. And that's natural. We want what's comfortable for us. What would we do for food? We'd choose what we like. What we're comfortable with. What, what we want. What would we do when it comes to our workload? We'd make it easy. Obviously, we don't want to work hard. Who wants hard work? We want easy work. I like to be profitable, but I like for everything to work. To work the first time you're talking about a job that doesn't work. I've had a couple of those where you go and you're just like... Uh, that's supposed to work. That's supposed to fix it. And it just doesn't. And then you have to dig in and find out what it is. And oh man, who wants that? I want to go to the place. You know, I want a 412 pitch roof walker, first, maybe half story. You know, somebody who is a midget and their house is only a half story up. So if I fall, it doesn't really hurt. I, I want. I want something where I'm not even, I want the decking to be so strong. I want them to have three inch thick decking. I don't want to have to worry about anything. I want to be able to play badminton on their roof. You know what? That's the kind of roof I want to work on. I don't want anything hard. Who wants the hard ones? And the guy needs to be a millionaire and not care how much it costs. I need to be able to have like a 70% markup on this bad boy. Commission? Yes. What kind of work do we want? That's the kind of work we want. But is that the kind of work that God wants us to have? What does he call us to? What is the calling? The calling is a calling of faith. The entire passage that we just read is all about us removing ourselves from the equation and substituting ourselves and our desires with faith in the sovereignty of God. How are you going to be taken care of? Where are you going to live? How are you going to be responded to? It's not up to you. 
It's not up to you. It's not up to you. Your job, single fold, obey in faith. Obey in faith. Do you see how this is far removed from our expectations of what being a Christian really is like? I've heard messages where guys get up and preach and talk about giving to the church and then they say, God's going to do this for you and he's going to give you a better house and he's going to give you more income and he's going to take care of your family and all the diseases are going to be taken away. I'll just tell you, that's heresy. It's not the way it works. And God maintains here that your real job is to, in faith, do what I'm called you to do, and there's going to be some things that you don't necessarily choose as a part of your life. Then he goes on, and I want us to, to turn to Matthew chapter, or Luke chapter 14. So we're going to go back a couple of chapters here to Luke chapter 14. And look at verses 26 and verse 27. I'm just going to warn you, the next two passages we look at are going to be uncomfortable. They're going to be uncomfortable. And truth sometimes is uncomfortable. Luke chapter 14, verse 26. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. I don't know about you, but that rubs me the wrong way, especially with my American ideology as I, as I think about the way the culture tells me to value myself and to love myself, appreciate me, the way the culture tells me to gain what I can gain and get what I can get and hoard it up to myself. When I read this passage and it tells me that I can't be God's disciples unless, number one, I hate my family, I hate my, myself, my own life. And, and look what it says. It says, if I don't bear a cross and come after him, I can't be his disciple. That seems very harsh to me. And it puts me at distance from being a disciple, doesn't it? Doesn't it you? Don't those words make you resist discipleship? They do to me too. Because me, myself, my flesh wants to please itself. And it wants to get what it can get. And it wants to heap to itself riches and rewards and pleasure and, and all those good things. But there's a restriction there. Let's go to a different passage and look at it a different way. Mark chapter 10. This is the same account here. Mark chapter 10, verse 29. Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, 
or children or lands for my sake and the gospels, but he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the world to come eternal life. I want us to see this reading of it a little bit different. It's a little bit less harsh, but he explains it in such a good way. My focus on myself hinders my ability to be of service to God. And when we are willing to leave behind and walk away from the most dear relationships that are available to us on earth for the sake of the gospel, that's a reward. And when we're willing to subject ourselves to not favorable conditions for our social life, our living conditions, our work. That's going to be rewarded. Because your eternal reward is far greater than your present difficulty. And it's far greater than any present pleasure you can give yourself. You know, um, as, as somebody who enjoys economics, there's a term out there that, to me, it's, it's probably the, the most important economic term uh, for any person who's trying to uh, take care of their own finances. It's called opportunity cost. Opportunity cost. Every decision you make has a cost associated to it. If I decide to sleep in today, I have a cost associated to sleeping in. The cost of sleeping in is I don't get to be awake. I don't get to do things that I could do because I chose something else. This is something I try to teach my kids. Opportunity cost. Because they don't realize that it is your fault that you don't have your homework done. I didn't have time. Oh, you did, but you spent your time doing something else. Now, when we look at this passage, I want you to understand this. Our focus on ourselves has an opportunity cost. We have an opportunity to gain much for the cause of Christ. But we can't if our focus is on self. The opportunity cost of selfish living goes far beyond your own family and your own life. It affects the entire world that God has called you to impact. As you lose the focus of, the focus of God in your living... You disable your impact on your circle of influence. Right now, I've got a calling on my life to impact a construction company, 
men that I work with at the clinic, my family, my church family, my other church families. <laughs> I've got a call to do that. But let's just say that instead of me saying, yes, I'll be available, and yes, I'll be willing, and yes, I will serve, I say, I really need a break. You know? And, and I'm not on staff at these other churches. And, and you know what? Even my local church doesn't pay me anything, so why should I serve there? I need to get... You know, we misquote, a workman is worthy of his hire. Again, I've misquoted that twice, by the way, just so you know. And we look at that and say, I need to take care of myself. And you know what? There is, there's a biblical need for you to take care of yourself and to maintain the body and the emotion and the will that God has given you. And you're supposed to take care of yourself. Just a, that's a free one. But we sometimes go so far overboard with that that we're no service usefulness at all. So point one, what was their calling? It was all in faith. What was the calling? It is all on Christ. Can you imagine what the difference of your life would be if you could change your focus from being on you to being on God? All the time? Can you imagine the difference that you would, the different way that you would respond to struggle and failure and all those other things if your focus was on God? How would you deal with temptation if your focus was on God? Truly on God. How do you deal with frustration and relationship issues if your focus is on God and not on yourself and your own personal pleasure? How do you deal with struggling marriages when your focus is on God and not on you making sure that you're right or that he or she is wrong? How does your marriage get better when you are focused on Christ to the point that you just want him glorified in everything? I'm telling you, we're talking about a catastrophic change to the way you live. And it doesn't have to make you change locations or jobs or anything. You don't have to go into the ministry to do this, to be a disciple of Christ. You don't have to go and start a church. You just have to handle the situations that God puts you in now with a Christward focus instead of a self-centered focus. So the comparison here of our callings is twofold. It is all in faith. It is all on Christ. I'm going to close here with three applications for us. Three applications. I'm going to get real for a little bit. So um, this is, this, remember this, I was preaching at myself first. So you're not allowed to get mad at me. Because I'm not just yelling, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to all of us. We're we're just, we're just a bunch of broken people in therapy, okay? Take your Bible to Luke 10 if you're not there. Luke chapter 10. I want us to look at two verses in Luke 10.
We already read a lot of this. We read all the way down to verse 12. And he sends out these 70 disciples, you know. We were talking about this. These 70 disciples, they go out. They're sent to go do these things. And they come back, these 70 disciples. They go out. They do the mission. They do the work. And they come back. And look what their response is in verse 17. And the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And they're excited. They're just, they're pumped. You ever seen a kid come back from a short-term mission trip? Woo! Yeah! I'm going to be a missionary forever. And it doesn't last very long because most of the time they come back and their focus is just like this group of 70. They came back and they're like, look, I was able to do this and I went and did this and I went and did this and I went and did I, 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 oh, focus problem. And their focus is the problem the same way. Verse 18. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. And he doesn't want to squash them. And so he lets them know exactly the amount of power that he has given them. Oh, and by the way, this is not... This is not them only. God has given you as believers power as well. Man, just go through 1 John and look at the power that God has given you to live your life and to work for him. It's amazing. And he gives them a little nugget of the immense power that he has given them. Notwithstanding, uh-oh, in this rejoice not. Wait. Don't rejoice in the power that I give you. Don't rejoice in the ability for you that you see and doing all these things and having all these things and being all these places because that is the wrong focus. Don't rejoice in that. Rejoice in something else. But rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. And I want to give you a quick application here because there are three things, three applications here that are struggle points for us when it comes to being an effective disciple. And the first one is, is that we have an idolatry of blessings. We look at things that God has given us with the wrong priorities. We already saw this in a different passage, how God wants us to be willing and able to leave our own beloved relationships for his sake. But I have met many a mother whose idol is her children. And she will not serve God if it means that I have to move more than 10 miles from my baby boy. And I will not do this if it means that I have to leave my kids or I can't be around my grandkids. There are many things that God has given us that are wonderful blessings. And one, you know, I have an amazing wife who loves me even though I am me. And if you have a spouse 
who still lives in the same house with you, just, I'm just going to be honest with you, if they still live in the same house with you, they're putting up with a lot. Because I know me. And, you know, I know what I'm like. And you know you. And you know what you're like. That's a wonderful gift of God. It's a wonderful gift of God. But do you know what I can't do? I cannot live my life to please my wife. I have to live my life to please the Lord. By the way, if I do that, and if she's doing that, we'll please each other all the time. If I'm living my life to please the Lord and she's living her life to please the Lord and both of us are focused on that instead of on some idol in our lives, i.e. each other or our kids, we're going to please each other. We're going to please our kids. We're going to be pleased with our kids and God is going to be glorified in your family. You want to know how to fix a struggling marriage? Here's the simplest, you know, the, the easiest way thing ever. Fix all marriage problems ever. Both people get saved. Both people live for the Lord. That's it. That's all it takes. That's really, really hard, though. There's a lot that goes into that. Secondly, if you look up in this passage to verses 10 and 11, there's another pain point here. Um, how many of you are people who just love confrontation? Oh, man, you love it. It's like your thing. You know, if there's a way for you to butt heads with somebody else, you did it. Anybody? Not many. There are some people built that way. I've run into a couple customers who are just like, you know what? I, uh, I really don't have anything to say, but I'm going to find something. I'm going to find something. I'm going to be angry about something. Maybe not angry, but we're gonna, we are going to have to talk about something. Because you, know, you can't do this whole project and cost me that much. You know what? That's it. This costs too much. And they're mad about it. Everything's fixed. They agreed. They signed the contract. Everything's done. This costs too much. Yeah. Some people are confrontational. Most people are not. Look at verse 10. Look at that. Chapter 10, verse 10. But in whatsoever city ye enter and they do not receive you, go your way out of the city, out of the same, and say, even the very dust of your city, which cleaveth on us, we do wipe off against you, notwithstanding, be sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. Does that sound like something you just want to do? You know, you're given the gospel. You're doing the calling of God in your life. You are presenting the gospel to people and they reject you. Anybody been rejected? I used to work in telemarketing. Rejection. Over and over and over. You just get rejected. And you get rejected creatively by people. They are. There's some creative rejections. Uh, I once called a guy and he answered the phone. I introduced myself and, um, and he said... Do you not think I have anything better to do with my time than to talk to you? And I said, no, sir, I don't. And he hung up on me. Um, what, what does that mean? I have no idea what that meant. 
But I will say this. We don't like failure. We don't deal with it well. We don't like confrontation, and we don't deal with that well. And I think if, you know, the way that we gave the gospel, if every single time we gave the gospel, somebody got saved, we wouldn't have a problem finding soul winners. But we get to that point of failure where it doesn't work out exactly how we envisioned it. And, and they don't respond to us the way that we wanted them to. That that failure puts a block in front of us that we're unwilling to approach again. And we get thrown by failures. And I will say this, that when you are completely submitted to the will of Christ, and you act completely focused on that will, you're serving God, there are still going to be points that humanistically look like failure. There were people that Jesus, God incarnate, witnessed to that did not receive him. There were 11 disciples that followed him faithfully. One that didn't. Men who were in his company day in and day out. And yet one chose not to follow him. But as we understand that, and we submit not to just his will, but also to his sovereignty, and the fact that he, even in people rejecting, is in control, it may not make sense to us, but it does to him. And again, we go back to faith. What two things of application so far? There's an idolatry of blessing, and we get thrown by failures. Let's go to the last one here. Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, verse 35. We're going to go back a little bit, but we, we see here an account... Verse 26, we already read. And then he talks here about counting the cost. What does it cost you to be a disciple? And then he gets down to verses 34 and 35. When you don't count the cost of being a disciple, this is what your life looks like. He says, salt is good. But if the salt hath lost its savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land, nor yet for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. There is a danger for us to have unattractive evangelism. What is it that makes our lives shine and be different. 
It's the ability for you to go through all of the things that we've just described and still have a Christ-centered attitude, still have Christ-centered responses, still be able to, to make decisions and deal with people in a way that flows who God is out of your life. When that's done, everybody notices. Everybody notices. Because the expected result is exactly what you see on daytime drama TV. Somebody's mean to you, and obviously you overreact, and we're conditioned to do that. But if somebody treats you wrongly, and you respond with a Christ-like attitude, if somebody doesn't give you the worth and the value that you think you're due, and you don't throw a hissy fit, and you don't stand up and draw attention to yourself, people notice. Why? Because that isn't the way the world works. And they're going to ask you why. When we focus on self, we are like salt, just like in this passage, with no flavor. That does nothing, is not effective, and nobody can tell whether you've been here or not. So, in point of closing, I want us to think about these three applications. Are the blessings that God has given you in your life, your home, your family, your, your legacy, your income, are the things that God has given you in your life, have they become idols that have become the focus of your life? Have your blessings take control? Secondly, are you hiding from past failures? Are you unwilling to reach out to somebody because it didn't go well the last time? Are you unwilling to, to talk to your family, to your friends about the Lord because you're afraid of the confrontation? Lastly, have you gotten in a lifestyle that is so self-focused that you have no Christ-like flavor in you at all. You're a believer by the grace of God, but you haven't seasoned the world with the salt of the word. I had to look at these things, and as I was realizing that I was failing in parts of all three, I had to get humble. And I had to start thinking about what, not physical changes, but what mental, spiritual changes I needed to make in order that in the end, my life would have some flavor to it.
I hope that as you've seen these things, you've been able to see areas that you can grow in. But let's all make sure that we understand the true nature of what it means to be a disciple. Those faulty expectations will always leave you with no results. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would use the humble words and my faulty abilities today to spread your word to greater, greater depths than I can. And Lord, you are great to do that. You tell us that your word never goes forth void. God, I know that I needed to be exposed to these truths. Lord, I pray that you would humble us to get past our Christianity that doesn't make any effect and be focused on really being the difference maker that you called us to be in the community that we're in. Lord, this town needs you. And there are many out there ripe. But God, we get so focused on self that we lose sight of the mission and we lose sight of your power and we lose sight of our responsibility. God, you have given us grace. Now make us humble. Break us if we need to be broken. We pray these things in your name. Amen.